Well, good morning. How's everyone doing today? <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds pretty good for uh, Labor Day weekend. Now, uh, thanks for coming on a Labor Day weekend. And, you know, when I think of Labor Day weekend, I usually think of two things. I'm just going to put this stuff away right here. I usually think of two things. I think of going back to school, and I think of the Minnesota State Fair. I was curious, how many people here have gone to the State Fair this year? Show of hands. I've seen so many people on Facebook saying that they're at the State Fair. I went to the State Fair uh, this past Friday and ate just a ton of food. They have so many different foods that you can eat. And I'd estimate, seriously, I probably ate between 3,000 to 5,000 calories in you know, the first 10 or 15 minutes. And then the rest of the day, <laughs> just kept eating and eating and eating. And the, the good part to that is that I'm not going to need to eat the rest of the week. I got my fill. And uh, we had a really good time. Uh, my name's Nate. I get to be the associate pastor at Mosaic Church. And again, just welcome. Thank you for being here. I, uh, I heard a story uh, a few weeks ago about someone named Danny Foley. And if you hear that name, Danny Foley, I don't know if that name rings a bell at all. Danny was a, a bit of an internet sensation a few years back. Danny was, in 2014, he was a sophomore at Virginia College, and Danny had a dream. And Danny's dream was to be a part of the Virginia College men's basketball team. And so Danny, he wasn't good enough to play on the basketball team, and so he was racking his brain, like, what can I do? How can I be a part of the team? And then one day, one evening, he was watching one of their games, and he noticed something. He noticed that every single assistant coach on the basketball team wore the exact same outfit. They had the same suit coat, same pants, and the same bright orange tie. And Danny got an idea. So Danny grabbed some of his friends, and he went out. Uh, they went out shopping. They went from store to store. And finally, when they went to Walmart, of all places, he hit the jackpot, and he found the exact same suit coat, the same pants, the same shoes, and the same bright orange tie. And so Danny was set. He knew what he was going to do, and it just so happened that the very next day was going to be the conference championship game between Virginia College and their rival, Duke University. And so the next morning, Danny bought some cheap tickets to the game, and later that day, he went down to the game. And the uh, game started. He was sitting up in the stands. I'm sure some people looked at him kind of funny because he's wearing this full suit. And then when the time was right, Danny said when the time was right, he walked down the aisle, down to the court, past security, past the cheerleaders, no one stopped him. He walked right over with the rest of the assistant coaches, and that's where Danny spent the rest of the game, <laughs> hanging out with the assistant coaches. And no one questioned him, no one noticed that he wasn't a part of the team. And it gets even better. At the end of the game, uh, Virginia College actually won. And so Danny, you can see pictures online, Danny's out on the court like confetti's falling from the rafters, and Danny's out on the court celebrating. He's taking selfies with this trophy they got. He's, uh, they, they gave him a championship, conference championship t-shirt that he puts on. And then he wasn't even satisfied with that. Then he gets into the, the line, you know, where you go to like shake hands with the other team. And he shakes hands with all the Duke players. He even shook hands with legendary coach K from Duke. And it was around that time that one of the Virginia College staff members noticed that Danny wasn't a part of the coaching staff. They started making their way towards him, but Danny was able to slip away. He hopped a railing, went into the crowd, and disappeared. And I just thought that was kind of crazy. And so some people might hear that story, and you might think that's not good. Like, Danny, really? If that was my kid that did that when they're in college, I'd be really mad. And some people are like, hey, it's just a harmless college prank. It's not a big deal. 
Regardless of where you fall on the spectrum of feelings on what Danny did, um, I think we can all agree that at least for that one day when Danny did what he did, Danny was, you could call him a, a fake, you could call him a, a fraud, you could call him a poser, you, whatever. Danny was pretending to be someone that he wasn't. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking that in a lot of ways, a lot of us can, in a weird sort of way, probably relate to Danny. Um, a lot of us sometimes feel like we're pretending in different ways, and who we are on the inside doesn't match up with who we are on the outside. I teach classes at a, at a local Christian college, and through the years I've heard a number of students tell me they've said things like, I feel like I'm such a chameleon. Depending on where I go, I act like I'm different people. And I even heard someone say somewhere, they said, my biggest fear is that someday I'm going to wake up from a coma, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be in the hospital, and I'm going to be surrounded by all these different people that I've known throughout my life, from school and work and church and the neighborhood. And I'm not going to know which person I'm supposed to be, how I'm supposed to act. I don't know if anyone can relate to that, but uh, that's a fear that some people have. And, and as Christians, for anyone in the room today that's a believer in Jesus, I would even say that sometimes we feel like we're, we're fakers, or we feel like um, there's things on the inside that people don't know about, and we're worried that if someone ever found that out about us, that that they would judge us or that they would tell us that we're a fake or that we're a fraud or that we're not, you know, really a Christian. And so we have maybe a sin in our life that we just keep repeatedly doing or um, things that we struggle with that might not even be sin we're just ashamed of. And so we take that and we hide it and we put it in a dark place. We, we put it in a safe and we lock it and we throw away the key and we, we say, this is going to stay here and I don't want anyone to ever know about this because people know the, the, the outward side of me. They don't know this part of me, and if anyone finds out, um, I, I, I don't want to think about that. I'm going to be embarrassed. And some of us, we maybe feel like we're spiritual hypocrites, and we hear the word hypocrite thrown around a lot, or hypocrisy, and I thought it'd be good to define hypocrisy because we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be looking at the, the Pharisees, um, a group of religious guys in the Bible, and hypocrisy can be defined as the practice of professing standards, beliefs, etc., contrary to one's real character or actual behavior. And the thing with the Pharisees, and also we're going to look at the lawyers today, not legal lawyers like what we have today, but we're going to be looking at a, a group called the lawyers, which were more like Bible college professors, which is something I do on the side. And anyway, the, we have the lawyers. Um, the lawyers and the Pharisees, they focused on the outside way more than they focused on the inside. They cared more about a clean outside than a clean inside. And so today we're going to look at an encounter that Jesus has with some of these religious leaders, with some fakers, some hypocrites. Uh, we're going to go to Luke. If you have your Bibles with you, could you please turn to Luke chapter 10? We're going to look at verses 37 through 54. If you don't have a Bible on you, uh, you can go on your phones. We're also going to have it up on the screen if you just want to follow along on the screen. Uh, before we get started, though, I'd like to just take a second uh, to pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for everyone that um, stuck around this weekend and uh, didn't, uh, didn't sleep in but decided to come in, God, and spend some time together, some time in your word, God, some time praising you. And I, I just pray for each person here today. I pray, God, that uh, we can be focused for the next 20, 30 minutes, God, I pray that uh, 
that whatever you want people to hear, God, today, that, that uh, they'd hear it. And uh, we just pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So I'm just going to read a few verses here before we jump into the story. And so let's look at verse 37 again. This is Luke 10, verses 37. It says, While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and he reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So what do we see here? We see Jesus, and Jesus is speaking to a crowd. And while he's speaking to this crowd, sorry, the stage has like a little dip in it. It's weird. While Jesus is speaking to the crowd, um, a Pharisee speaks up, and he interrupts Jesus. And the Pharisee actually invites Jesus over to his house, which I'm sure probably surprised some of the people in the crowd because the Pharisees and Jesus, they didn't really get along the greatest. And I'm sure it shocked some people too because Jesus then, he actually accepts the invite and he says, yeah, I'll come over. So Jesus heads over to the Pharisee's house and he goes over there. It's about mid-morning. It's like it's after breakfast and it's before lunch. That time of day, you know, when you go to McDonald's and you can't decide between like a, a sausage McMuffin and a Big Mac, you know, I, I think the choice is obvious, but for some of us that's a hard decision. And so that's when Jesus goes over to the Pharisee's house. And uh, he sits down at the table, he reclines, and that's when the Pharisees do a double take. And they're like, what are you doing? And did anyone catch what Jesus is doing here at this moment or what Jesus is not doing? He, he didn't wash his hands. And the Pharisees are pretty upset about this because, okay, it's not any parents in here, anyone that has kids or had kids, maybe your kids are grown up now. When you sit down at the dinner table with your kids, what's the one thing that you usually ask your kids? Did you wash your hands? That's not what's going on here. That's not why the Pharisees are upset. Uh, it's not a situation where the Pharisees are germaphobes, Okay. There was this thing, it was called the tradition of the elders, and the tradition was that you would wash your hands before you ate. And I'm guessing Jesus probably typically washed his hands before he ate, but in this situation, um, Jesus doesn't wash his hands. And I think it's because Jesus wanted to get a reaction from the Pharisees. And he gets a reaction from the Pharisees, but before the Pharisees can really start to say too much to him, um, Jesus starts to rebuke them. And he rebukes them for focusing on the external instead of the internal for focusing on the outside, on what we see, as opposed to the inside, what God sees. And I think this is when it really starts to get entertaining in the story. Jesus says in verse 39, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Has anyone here ever eaten at a buffet? Anyone here like to eat at buffets? I don't see any hands. Most people don't want to admit it. I like buffets, okay? <laughs> Most birthdays, I like to go to buffets. We used to have Old Country Buffet here in Maple Grove. Now it's the Golden Corral. Um, I really like a good Asian buffet. Um, a couple years ago, uh, when my wife and kids and I lived in Tucson, there was a restaurant, uh, an Asian buffet called Wok and Roll. 
And I loved it. I thought it was so good. We went out there, we ate. I thought the food was good. I thought the name was really good. My wife disagreed. Um, and it's okay, she can be wrong sometimes, but we ate at this buffet. And okay, if you haven't been to a buffet, I, there should be a picture up on the screen, uh, hopefully, of what a buffet looks like. And so imagine this. Imagine that you go to a buffet, and you walk up to the buffet line, and you grab your tray, and you grab your bowl, and you grab whatever spoon it is that you're going to dish, whatever it is, like macaroni and cheese, or what else do they have at buffets, like mashed potatoes. And you're about to put that in your bowl, and you notice that the inside of the bowl is caked with just gross, nasty, old, slimy, hairy, moldy food. And there's like flies coming out of it. <laughs> My question for you is, would you put food in that bowl and eat out of it? Hopefully not. What if the outside of the bowl was perfectly clean? It was shiny and beautiful, but the, the inside was dirty. Would you, anyone eat out of that bowl? I hope not. Or if you walk over to the soda dispenser and you want to get something to drink and you grab a cup and the inside of the cup is caked with the same slime. I'm probably ruining buffets for everyone right now. Um, hopefully you wouldn't drink out of that cup. Well, the Pharisees, they, they followed the law and they followed the old man-made rules and they followed religion. And they kept the outside clean. They kept their outsides clean. But what they failed to realize was the same God who created some of the laws that he passed along to Moses, who passed it along to the Israelites, that's the same God that really wants clean hearts. And the Pharisees just totally lost sight of that. And when you read the Bible, you're going to see that God cares more about a clean inside than a clean outside. But the tough part is that it's way easier to focus on the outside than it is to focus on the inside. And so, so we see that Jesus first rebukes them for being legalistic. And then, I'm not going to do the impersonation, but then Jesus starts pulling out some woes, okay? And it kind of reminds me, anyone ever watched the show Blossom back in the 90s? Joey Lawrence? Anyone in here able to do a good Joey impersonation? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Jesus starts pulling out some woes. And so in verse 42, he says, But woe to you Pharisees. Okay, I picture Jesus maybe wearing flannel here, like Joey. For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And you see the Pharisees, they were so exact in their tithing, that they went to the extent of tithing the mint and the rue. Anyone even know what rue is? It's some type of herb. They, they tithed the mint and the rue, every herb. They even took it even further, and they tithed a tenth of the stock of each herb. And the funny part with that was that that wasn't a command that God had given them, but the Pharisees, they took it one step, and then they even took it one step further. And they focused so much on tithing the herbs that they completely lost sight of what really mattered on loving their neighbors, on justice, on mercy. And so the Pharisees thought that they were impressing people. Maybe they were impressing people, but they didn't impress Jesus. Jesus saw straight through it, and it didn't impress him. Now, nothing against rules. There are some, there are some good rules, but I think, I, I guess my point here is sometimes we need to think about the rules that we're following, and sometimes we need to focus more on people than on rules. And I, I have a story that comes to mind right now. It's a really quick story. I wasn't planning on sharing this. Um, 
I think it's a good example of, of the difference between rules and, and loving people, and in this case, it's actually a pet, but uh, when I was in high school, and I'm not gonna get too graphic, but when I was in high school, we had a pet Maltese named Rocky, and one day, I went inside, and I had a van, my parents' van, that I would use to drive around town, and my mom and sister were outside, and they tied Rocky's leash to the back of the van, and then they went inside, and they forgot that Rocky was attached to the back of the van, and I came outside, and I took off in the van to go hang out with some friends, and I got two or three blocks down the road before, luckily, someone pulled up alongside my car, some teenagers, and they were screaming and yelling, like, stop, and I stopped, and I, I pulled the van over, and Rocky was in pretty bad shape. And I put Rocky in the van, and I, do, do, do you think I followed the speed limit at that point? I had to drive down to the, to, to the emergency vet clinic. The speed limit was 35. I wasn't following the speed limit in that case. I was going much faster because I wanted Rocky to live. And I may have even gone through a couple red lights on the way down. Normally, I follow those rules. But that was a case of putting a, not a person, but a dog, you know, ahead of the rules. And the Pharisees, they lost sight of that with people. They put the rules ahead of people. Do we have any rule followers in the room, though? Any rule followers? If you're a rule follower, raise your hand. Okay. All of you are rule followers. I'm a bit of a rule follower. There, there are some crazy rules in our country, okay? A lot of rules that we don't even know about. I came across, these are real rules. I'm just going to read a few of them to give you guys some examples, some rules. Um, there's a town in Delaware, okay, where it's illegal to whisper in church. Yeah, this is true. In Omaha, Nebraska, it's illegal to burp or sneeze during a church service. In Boston, it's illegal to eat peanuts in church. For some reason, that one, I can picture that being a rule in Boston. I, I don't know why. <laughs> um, in Alabama, it's illegal to wear a fake mustache that causes laughter in church. Okay? You can wear a, a fake mustache to church, but if it causes laughter, that's, that's the issue. So, so Jesus, he rebukes the Pharisees for heartless legalism and for uh, focusing so much on the rules. And I, I want to clarify, too, religion and rules, they're very different than the gospel of Jesus Christ because religion and rules, they say, if I follow enough rules, if I do enough things, if, you know, if I do what God wants me to do, then God's going to accept me and he's going to love me and I'm going to be good with God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, on the other hand, it says, God loves me, God accepts me, and because of that, I'm going to follow God, and I'm going to follow where he wants me to go and what he wants me to do. And so instead of following out of obligation, you're going to be following God out of uh, gratitude and out of thankfulness and out of love. So then Jesus rebukes them for their pride and their vanity. In verse 43, Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Um, back in 2005, I went on a vacation with my wife, and we had one child at the time, our son Elijah, he was two. We went with my parents and my sister, and one of my sister's friends, and we went down to St. Augustine, Florida. And we were there on a Sunday, and we thought it'd be fun to go to a local church. And so we just picked a random church. It was a big church. It was a beautiful church. And we got to the church uh, just a few minutes late. And I remember we walked in the church, 
And, you know, there's the doors to the sanctuary, and we're, like, peeking through these doors, and we can see that it's a huge sanctuary, but all the seats are full. And so we were like, okay, maybe we should go and find another church that hasn't actually started their service yet. And uh, an usher comes up to us, and he's like, hey, are you guys, is this your first time here? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, okay, um, how many of, our, you know, of you are there? And we tell him, and he says, okay, I've got some seats for you. And so we're like, okay. And so he leads us down this hallway, and we start walking down this hallway, and it goes, and it goes, and it goes. It's really long. It curves. And we get to the end of the hallway, and we can see that there's this doorway. And we don't know where we are. We're all turned around. And he says, okay, you guys just go right through this door. We got some seats for you. And anyone ever get that voice in your head that says, don't do it? Like, <laughs> I had that little whisper inside my head, but I didn't listen to it. And so we walked through the door. I think I was, I think I was the first one that walked out. And I was mortified because we walked right out on the stage and there was like this row of seats on the stage, just enough for us. And like the pastor is standing here and you know, the, the row is like right back here. <laughs> and so we're sitting here for the entire service and it's April, you know, we're from Minnesota, we're really white, we really stand out. <laughs> and I was so mortified. And yeah, I don't ever want to do that here at Mosaic. I think that'd be a bad idea. But um, the Pharisees, the Pharisees would have loved that because if you had been back in Jesus' day, you would have seen that there was actually a row of seats up on the stage that faced the congregation. And the Pharisees would sit in these seats and they would face the congregation and the congregation would look at them. And these seats were reserved for the most religious people in the room. And then if you went up to like the front row, you know, this front row, you three right there and you two, you guys would almost be the most religious. And then as you work your way back towards the back of the room, you become less and less religious. And so the people in the room, they look, yeah, Rick would be the least religious in the back, <laughs> waving his hand. Um, so the Pharisees loved it because they sat up there and everyone looked at them and they said, hey, you guys, you guys are awesome. You guys are close to God. You're so religious. You're so holy. And they loved it. And I don't think that most of you in here would probably be interested in sitting, some of you might, Ryan, I could maybe see you like, like it up here, but if we had a row of chairs, most of you wouldn't want to sit up here. But before we get too critical of the Pharisees, and I can even speak for myself, um, sometimes we like it when people notice us for how spiritual we are or for how we're serving God or when you know, someone compliments us and they say, hey, you're such a great Christian or that's so awesome what you do. You know, um, Not to make anyone feel bad, but it's human nature. And sometimes it's good to remind ourselves that the Pharisees were people just like us, we're people too. And before we cast stones at the Pharisees, um, sometimes we do have some things in common. So Jesus, he, he calls them out on their pride and vanity. And then Jesus, he rebukes the Pharisees for their false teaching. In verse 44, he says, Woe to you for your like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Uh, one, more, one more vacation story. Just this past June, my oldest son, again, Elijah, he's 14 now. Uh, Elijah and I and my wife's uncle, Rod, we went on a vacation down to Old San Juan, Puerto Rico. And we're there for like four days. We did a lot of fun stuff in Puerto Rico, but one of the things that we did that I really enjoyed, and this is probably going to sound weird, but um, one of the things I really enjoyed was we went to a cemetery. And there's this really old cemetery down by the ocean. And... I don't know what it is about cemeteries. I don't spend a lot of time at cemeteries, but 
I find it kind of fascinating when you walk around and you look at these gravestones and you read these names of people, you know, at this cemetery, some people that lived two or three hundred years ago, and you read these names and you look at the years that they're alive, and I try and imagine, like, what was, what was life like for those people? And so we're walking around the cemetery, and some of these stones, the names are just, it looks like they've almost been sandblasted off because of all the rain and the wind and the, maybe some waves and the sand, and some of the gravestones maybe we'd brush against or touch, which wasn't a big deal, but back in Jesus' day, the reason why I'm telling you this story is because back in Jesus' day, in Israel, it was a big deal to touch a gravestone that was unmarked. And if you touched one of these gravestones, you'd be ceremonial unclean for like a week. And so to try and help people not touch these gravestones, they'd whitewash them. They'd coat them in this whitewash. And so the gravestones, they'd be bright and white and shiny, and you could see them from like a mile away. And it was sort of like a, like a big, bright, neon flashing sign saying, don't touch, you know, stay away, don't touch. And Jesus, he, he compares the Pharisees to these unmarked graves. And he says, you guys, he said, on the outside, you guys are bright and you're clean and you're sparkling and you look, you know, you look perfect, like you've got it all together. And he says, on the inside, you guys are full of death and decay and you guys are like zombies, you know, you're, you're, you're alive, you're walking, whatever, but on the inside, you're dead. And anyone that follows you, you're leading them to death too. And the Pharisees, they didn't, they didn't like that so much. And so up to this point, you know, I told you at the beginning of this message, there's two groups. There's the Pharisees and there's the lawyers. And again, lawyers were kind of like Bible college professors, okay? And it was the job of the lawyers to um, teach and instruct people in the ways of the scriptures so that they could become closer to God. That was their job. And they were supposed to take the teachings in the scriptures and make them easy to understand, to make things simpler for the people, not to put barriers in front of the people, but to make it easy for them to get closer to God. And up to this point, Jesus has only focused on the Pharisees. And uh, anyone here ever grow up with siblings, brother, sister? Can anyone think back to a time when you're a kid and you, you're in the house and you happen to hear your mom or your dad just like yelling at your brother or your sister and you're like, oh wow, they're in trouble. And so you go down and you like kind of peek in the room where your parent is and your parent's back is to you and they can't see you. But your brother or your sister who's getting yelled at, they can see you. And so you're just kind of standing there and you're, you're getting a kick out of it. And you're so happy that you're not the one that's getting yelled at. And maybe you start to like make faces at your brother or your sister, which makes them more upset, but they can't say anything because if they interrupt your parent, they're going to get more trouble. Anyone ever do that? Anyone? I can relate. I can remember sometimes that went on. Um, well, this isn't in the Bible, but just my imagination. I picture it kind of being like this. I picture the lawyers in the room just sitting back and being like, this is great, Jesus. You can just keep going. Keep, keep yelling at those Pharisees. Keep rebuking them. And then one of the lawyers, I don't know why, but he speaks up. Instead of sitting back and being quiet, he says, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And I'm like, whoops, like, why would you do that? Why would you? He's not saying anything to you guys. Why would you do that? So then Jesus, he turns around and he's like, Oh yeah, you know what? Since you bring it up, I've got some stuff to say to you guys too. And so in verse 46, he sa Jesus says, Woe to you lawyers also, for you lead people with burdens hard to bear, 
and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You know, Jesus, he said, my, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And a yoke is what a rabbi would call his teachings. And Jesus is saying to the lawyers, he's saying, you guys are making this so tough. The lawyers, they literally had hundreds and hundreds of rules that they put on the people. And some of these rules were so impossible to follow that people would just give up. And they'd say, it's, it's not possible. Why, why even try to do what God's asking me to do? And so they'd cause people to trip up. And the lawyers did this because they put way more value on rules than they put on people. Religion loves rules, but God cares about people. And God, he cares so much more about a clean inside than a clean outside. And then Jesus, he calls out the lawyers for essentially killing the prophets. For killing the prophets. If we go to verses 47 and 48, Jesus says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. And you can go to Jerusalem today and you can actually still see some of these tombs that were built by the lawyers in the Kidron Valley. You can see these. And so the lawyers, they thought that in building these tombs that they were doing a really good thing and they thought, hey, we're honoring the prophets. And again, this didn't impress Jesus. Jesus says, hey, your forefathers, they killed these prophets. And he says, you guys in building these tombs, you're finishing the work that they started. You're, you're kind of an accomplished, accomplice in, in, in what they did. And that same spirit that led their forefathers to kill the prophets, I think it's interesting because that's the same spirit, I believe, that then was leading these lawyers and these Pharisees and these religious people to eventually kill Jesus. And they couldn't see it. Lastly, Jesus, he rebukes the lawyers for the false teaching. Just like the Pharisees, Jesus rebukes the lawyers for false teaching. In verse 52, he says, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. And the, the lawyers, they were supposed to lead the people into the way of salvation. And I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm going to ask a question in a second, and this is going to be an opportunity to give a really good Sunday school answer, okay? So he's talking about the key of knowledge into the way of salvation. But the lawyers, they had lost the key of knowledge, and so they weren't able to help the people come into a right relationship with God. Anyone have any guess what the key of knowledge is, or who the key of knowledge is? It starts with a J. Jesus. Yes, Jesus was the key of knowledge, is the key of knowledge. John 14, 6 says that no one comes to the Father except through him. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Lastly, in verses 53 and 54, um, we see that as Jesus went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees, they began to press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And they, they didn't stop harassing Jesus and bugging Jesus until the day that they actually nailed him to a cross. You know, Jesus, he cared more about a clean inside than a clean outside. And so at, at the beginning of this message, I was talking about how 
some of us can relate to Danny because we have things in our lives that we're not proud of, that we're ashamed of, that we like to keep locked away. We like to keep it in the dark. You know, stuff that we like to put, sweep under the mat. We don't want anyone to know about because we're afraid that if someone finds out, they're going to reject us. They're going to say that we're, you know, a fraud or a fake or a hypocrite. And so we just keep that private. But the problem that that causes is that when we have this, when we have this disconnect, we have the stuff in our life we don't want anyone to know about, and then we have the public side of us that we want everyone to see, and there's this disconnect. And it can sometimes hinder our relationship with God. And I think deep down, a lot of us, we want there to be this connect. We don't want there to be that disconnect. We want the person that we believe we are on the inside to match up with the person that we are on the outside, especially as believers in Jesus. And so, how, how do we get clean and how do we connect those two. In Matthew chapter 18, there's a verse that says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among, among them. And so I have a thought. It's a little hard to read because I spilled coffee on it this morning. <laughs> so hopefully I can read this right. I'm just going to go with it. Um, our, our Christian faith, we, we were meant to live publicly. And it might seem to conflict with to conflict with, with what I've been talking about with the Pharisees today because the Pharisees were very public with their faith. So maybe you're thinking, why would we live our, our life publicly if we don't want to be like the Pharisees or the lawyers? But what I'm saying here is that as a wise pastor once told me, <coughs> Eric, <clears throat> he said that our relationship with Jesus, that's supposed to be personal, but our Christian faith, that's supposed to be public. And I think that that's a good distinction. Our, our personal faith, our personal relationship with Jesus, that's supposed to be personal, but our, our faith is supposed to be public. And when you look at Jesus, when you look at the example of Jesus, Jesus, he surrounded himself with disciples. The last years of his life, he was with disciples every day. He didn't do his life alone. And when it was time for the disciples to go out, Jesus didn't send them out alone. He sent them out in groups of two. And we're meant to do life among other believers. We're not supposed to do it alone. And we get this idea in our heads sometimes that, you know, we're supposed to be like the cowboy riding off into the sunset alone or that we're supposed to be on our own island or, or whatever. And God doesn't intend for it to be that way. And this morning, Pastor Eric talked during announcements a lot about small groups. And we have small groups coming up. And I'm not going to say some of the stuff I was going to say about small groups because he did a great job talking about small groups. But really my big point right now is that I think it'd be great if everyone here had an opportunity to join up with a small group and not to do your Christian life alone. Because when you're in a small group, you have opportunities to build relationships, to get to know men and women, to get to know believers. And as you get to know them just naturally, you're going to have opportunities to be able to share things and to be able to talk about your struggles. And when you share some of your struggles, not that you have to, I'm not, I don't want to scare anyone here and make you think that you go to a small group and it's all about, you know, like this big counseling session. It's not like that, but when you are able to share some of your struggles or maybe some sort of sin that's holding you back and you give the other people in your small group a chance to pray for you and encourage you, support you, and check in with you, when I'm talking about that disconnect, that brings that side of you with those things in the dark that Satan wants to keep in the dark. He doesn't want that brought out into the light. That gives you a chance to bring those things that are in the dark out. And suddenly that person that you feel like you are 
just goes away. And those things that seem to have a grip on you and seem to have this hold on you that are making you feel like, I'm such a fake or a fraud, that just goes away. And you don't have to share things publicly in, in small group. I've gotten to know, my wife and I, we've been a part of a few different really awesome small groups here at Mosaic. Um, sometimes you just build that one relationship. You get to know one person that you connect with. And then through that, you can sometimes just send each other a text and say, hey, can you pray for me today? You know, I kind of messed up here, or I messed up there, or, or there's, there's this one thing that I really wish I would have done, and I did it today, or I just, I let anger get the best of me, and I'm just feeling really horrible today, and it's getting me down. You have opportunities like that, too. Um, when, I, when I was in high school, I was, a part of a, I was a part of a youth group, and there was this one night in youth group, it was at someone's house, it's kind of random, I don't remember whose house it was at, but we're at someone's house, and we were just doing our regular youth group. There's like 20 or 30 teens in the group. And I remember there was this one night, this one guy named Ryan. And Ryan was really quiet. Usually he was a really quiet guy. He wouldn't say much, like anything. And this one night in youth group, and I'm just going to kind of close with this story. Um, Ryan, he randomly starts talking about something, uh, some sin that was in his life that kept getting him down and that he kept struggling with and he was talking about how it really was just giving him a hard time and he was really struggling in his Christian walk. And at first, you know, it was a bunch of teens and usually teens don't talk about that kind of stuff. So at first, I remember where I was sitting in the room, I remember looking around, kind of watching the reactions of the other teens and some of the teens, they're kind of looking at each other like, first of all, Ryan's talking. Second of all, I can't believe he's actually, like, opening up about this stuff. But then something really cool happened. Then I noticed, like, one of the teens across the room, I remember she started nodding her head, like, like, I, I get what he's talking about. And then I noticed another teen on the other side of the room. They, they started nodding their head, too. And they just kept nodding, like, yeah. They're like, I get it. And I could see these light bulbs going on around the room. And it was, it was really cool. Like, everyone started getting it. Like, I'm not the only one that's struggling with this sin. Like, I'm trying to be this person on the outside. And, and it's okay to open up and to let others know that I'm struggling with something and I don't have to be perfect. And after youth group that night, like, we all went outside. We are getting ready to go. It was dark out. It was, it, it was late. And I noticed, I was out in the front yard of this person's house, and I saw that all the teens were walking over to Ryan. And Ryan was standing there, and they started, like, patting him on the back and hugging him and shaking his hand. And I heard teen after teen after teen after teen saying to Ryan, Ryan, I thought I was the only one. Ryan, I thought I was the only one that struggled with this or with that. Ryan, I thought I was the only one. And that night was a turning point in that youth group because it just opened it up, and all these people that had these strongholds of sin in their life, they, they realized it doesn't have to have a hold on me anymore. I can bring it out, and better yet, I'm not going to be rejected. I'm going to be encouraged. And now these guys are going to be praying for me. And it, it, was, it was a beautiful thing. And that was youth group, but it was a small group. It was essentially a small group. And so I'd like to just encourage everyone here to join a small group. That's my challenge for you this week. Um, if you've... Uh, kind of written off small groups, I'd like to encourage you to rethink it and, and at least consider it.
And if you have questions about small groups, you can talk to me, you can talk to Pastor Eric. And uh, that's my encouragement for you this week. So now I think we're going to go into a time of communion. And uh, let's, just, uh, let's just pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, I, I pray now as we uh, enter this time of communion, Lord, I pray that we can uh, just reflect. I pray that uh, we can think about think about that sacrifice, Jesus, that, that you made on the cross for us that you were beaten, that you were whipped, that you were nailed to a cross, that your blood was shed, that you died. And that you did that, Jesus, because you love us. You did it because you want us to come back. You wanted us to be able to come back into a relationship with God. That disconnect, God, that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when, when Adam and Eve sinned and they were ashamed and they were hiding from God. God was like, where are you guys? Like a, like a father looking for his children, that disconnect, Jesus, you took that away. So, Lord, we just pray now that, that we can take the bread, that we can take the juice, that we can reflect, think about your body that was broken, that we can think about your blood that was shed. And uh, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.